eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome in. It's the Lions 24-7 podcast. The final day of October as we record this bi-week episode of the podcast and happy Halloween to everyone out there still wondering how my co-host Sean Fitz is going to break the news to his boys that Halloween's been postponed in Happy Valley it is rainy weather outside we've got way too much candy under our roof no kids to eat it and we're going away for the weekend so we got our own predicament but Sean bless your heart you got boys who are ready to come home and I'm sure they're still getting their costumes anyways but you certainly came to mind when I saw the uh, the postponement announcement hit Twitter. Oh, it's going to be crazy, man, because we got it. We had that uh, pushback tonight. It's uh, if you're in the State College area, it's been pushed back to Saturday night. So that's great. That's when my wife's going out of town. So it's going to be insane. I'm going <laughs> to get a little more trick or treating in tomorrow night, probably somewhere else. But uh, it's going to be it's going to be fun. I can't wait. So uh, hopefully the costumes go over well. We've got an Iron Spider Man, I think, and an Iron Man. So uh, you know we, we'll make it work. But uh, you, you've got uh, chocolate and wine ahead of you this weekend. So I think you're pretty <laughs> pretty happy to be there. Yeah, we'll, we'll be just fine. But uh, I hope the boys have fun when that whenever they do get out there. Um, again, we're wrapping up October here and into November. And as we said on the podcast, not many teams these days get to November and still in the conversation for a college football playoff spot. Penn State, certainly one of those teams sitting at 8-0 and on the year, now number five in the Associated Press Top 25 poll. And Sean, we, we only really acknowledge those polls uh, from late August, and it's a varying degree of acknowledgement of these kind of polls, the coaches poll, the AP poll, but they kind of go out the window very soon, and and the rankings matter a lot more. November 5th, Penn State's not going to play a game between now and then. The first edition of five of the college football playoff rankings, the committee's going to be presenting their initial case on November 5th, next Tuesday, and leading up to the final outcome, December 8th, after the conference championships have been determined, that's when we'll find out which four teams Teams are in, but Sean, uh, to get to this stage in a season, as we've said in the past, well, the expectation was more for maybe a nine and three consensus pick for Penn State. Several eight and four picks in the mix, no doubt about it. Um, eight and zero oh in that conversation. Uh, the road doesn't get easy from here on out, but uh, it's, it's an exciting time to be a Penn State fan because these circumstances aren't existent on a lot of campuses right now, and in the history, especially the recent history of Penn State. Uh, it's pretty rare territory. Yeah, and they're going to be in those playoff rankings in that top six at least uh, coming into those those initial ones that come out on the fifth. So, I mean, hey, 
that's a roundabout way of saying it's good to be 8-0 right now. It's good to be undefeated. Um, of course, you've got speed bumps ahead, but that's, you know, you're not the only team in that group that's going to have it. I mean, obviously, Alabama, LSU play next weekend. Penn State's got a big one at Minnesota. But, uh, yeah, you keep that zero in there as long as you can. And, you know, Ohio State will eventually get here. That's the game that we're always going to keep uh, alluding to when we talk about. No disrespect to Minnesota, of course. But that's the game we're always going to keep looking at because that's uh, that's such a huge one, not only for the Big Ten, possible Big Ten championship game berth, um, but the playoff. I mean, you you look at what's out there right now and you give yourself every opportunity, even as an 11-1 team, and I know, you know, the SEC is probably going to get a, a couple teams into that playoff, but you've got conferences that have essentially played their way out of it. Um, you know, the, the, the way that things are uh, shaping up in the ACC with Clemson's schedule, you know, if they stumble, you know, the, they could find themselves in the outside looking in. Of course, the Big 12s, I think, already out. The Pac-12 is already out. So um, you give yourself an opportunity to... Uh, to, to, to put yourself in, you know, just to, to, to stand in that line and, and, and really just got to take care of what's in front of you. Right now, what's in front of us is the bye week. You got Minnesota next weekend, which is, of course, shaping up to be a much bigger game than anybody circled it on the calendar pre, uh, prior to the season. But hey, you're talking about uh, semifinals. You're talking about Rose Bowl potentially, which <laughs> it's funny because I was talking to somebody this weekend and we're talking about a potential Rose Bowl berth and you're kind of like slumping your shoulders thinking, oh man, that's, that's right. That's a consolation prize right right now. So that's where that season's at. And, you know, if you give any Penn State fan before the season, give them this opportunity where they would be at this point, uh, heading into November undefeated, you're going to take it. But man, when the Rose Bowl seems like a consolation prize to you, that's not only depressing, but it's also a really good spot to be in. It's a very enviable spot to be in for any program. And, and particularly this year, in this instance with Penn State, where many people felt like they were going to be spending the year kind of bridging the gap from a, from a former chapter uh, and, and James Franklin's foundational years and uh, to the future of Penn State football. And there may be some growing pains this year. There have been some growing pains, but they have not resulted in a loss yet. And quite frankly, number two in points allowed, number 13 in points scored nationally, average margin of victory of four touchdowns through your first eight games. Uh, Penn State has stated its case repeatedly that they are a, a program to be reckoned with this year. And uh, Sean, you mentioned it, uh, beyond these four final regular season games, you're going to have still have eyes on Indianapolis the first Saturday of uh, December. That's where the Big Ten Championship game will be. Penn State looking to get back there for the first time since 2016. Um, and then, of course, beyond that, there's two semi final games in the playoffs fiesta peach bowl uh in glendale arizona and atlanta georgia respect respectively so don't go buying any tickets yet but but the options are beginning to mount and realistically you are starting to view the rose bowl the rose bowl as kind of a, a plan b fallback for this penn state squad but and and well once once again we just blew <laughs> right past the outback bowl so i just oh, one of my yeah. favorite bowls and we're just uh, the penn state's ascent has just gone right by tampa uh, we're in Jacksonville a couple of years ago, and now all of a sudden we're talking Rose Bowl, Fiesta Bowl, of course, Orlando last year. But, I mean, you put yourself in a position to be in at, at least a New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, that Rose Bowl is, uh, you know, granddaddy of them all. But, man, that's uh, it's so funny when you put it like that because how your expectations change over the season. We talked about that three-game stretch of, of Iowa, Michigan, Michigan State. You come out of that 3-0, and and all of a sudden you're like, man, how good is this team? How, how far can this team go? You know, it's all going to point to Columbus eventually, but man, it's it's crazy to think where you're at right now versus where where you were thinking you would be at uh, just a couple of months ago. And it's a credit to the staff. And and really, you know, you talk about the the growing pains and the things that w- we thought that they would experience. 
experience, and that there's been probably fewer of them than we we expected. We, you know, we always pointed to the offensive line, Rasheed Walker, especially with those freshman moments. But this defense has just done such a good job of of keeping them where they need to be, and we knew they'd keep them in every game. I don't know that we we, we thought that they would dominate the games that the way the way that they have. So um, when you've got a defense like that, you've certainly got an opportunity to neutralize some of the the better teams in the country. Is Penn State there yet? I don't know. I, I I don't see them quite in that top three, top four. But anything can happen on any given day. So we'll we'll see how far this can go. And you know, first thing, it's got to be Minnesota, Minnesota, Minnesota. And I'm sure James Franklin, when we get to the press conference on Tuesday, is going to remind us of that. Yeah, and I think the nature of everybody in this fan, many people in this fan base right now, is not to take a look back and 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 exhale and say, "What a fun three game stretch this has been! What a great eight game start this has been!" It's saying, "Okay, what's next? What what is this team going to do next to prove itself on on, on the highest level of college football?" And I think this team is going to embrace that. We know the team is very concentrated on, on just as it's not looking forward too far. They also don't want to spend too much time reading their own accolades. Now this bye week is going to challenge that because you know if they're home watching football on Saturday and, and relaxing with some family and friends and taking advantage of, of a restful weekend you know they're gonna hear their program and potentially their name brought up as as you know analysts and, and and studio hosts talk about college football contenders it's going to be a different vantage point than they've experienced on a Saturday at any point this season you know even going back to, to their initial bye week they were four games in they were coming off a seven point win over Pitt they were still ranked outside the top 10 we've entered a different circumstance but as you said, Want to know? Want to know? Want to know? And but let's get right into it. Penn State, if they're one to know again, they'll remain unbeaten, and that means Minnesota will not be unbeaten. There are nine teams that have not lost yet in college football at the FBS level. Sean, Penn State is one of them. Two of their final four opponents are among that group as well. Minnesota coming out of the bye week next Saturday, and then two weeks later, Ohio State on the road in Columbus, both on the road, uh, both major resume builders. And, and as we've said in the past, you get to 12 and 0 with, with what they've got ahead of them and you go win the big 10 championship. There is nothing that any committee can do to keep you out of the college football playoff. I, I don't care what, what, what they would have to stand on their head and try to figure out a way to, to keep Penn state out. Not saying they would, but you're in, you're in if you don't lose a game and you get to that point. Uh, but Minnesota is the first one up and Sean, we have a set kickoff time for that one if you were looking for a prime time setup forget about it it's going to be at 11 a.m in minneapolis which is great for those of us on the beat who who like to to protect our our mental status and and don't mind leaving a press box before 2 a.m on the road and having to get to the airport uh but i know it's it may be a bit of a letdown for for minnesota fans and maybe a little worrisome for penn state fans i've seen some comments saying uh, I don't like this team playing, you know, uh, before noon on their mental timer, um, you know, and, and you don't want to see them get off to a slow start. But uh, there it is, 11 a.m. Aside from that, the final three games beyond that, home against Indiana, at Ohio State, at Rutgers, all to be determined in times of in terms of kickoff time. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how I feel about that noon kick at Minnesota. I mean, it's it wasn't going to be a night game. Um, of course, you're not going to go up against uh, Alabama LSU. You're going to um, you're going to avoid um, all that mess I guess you would call it um but uh you know for a night game in the Big Ten if in November it's got to be approved by both sides I don't even honestly 
think that Minnesota really even probably even tried to get at this a night game. They knew Penn State would not, uh, you know, would not go for it. And I mean, it was, it was kind that of, was a point of contention too. There was rumblings about whether or not they they were kind of everybody pushed needs, it away. Everybody needs yeah. something to get mad about, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it's like Franklin a couple of uh, uh, you know a couple of weeks ago was asked about wearing white for the whiteout, and he's like, we don't even try. I mean, it's not even it's not even an issue because we know it's not going to happen. So uh, I would not be surprised if that was the case. Um, of course, it's probably going to be cold. I, I pulled up the uh, the AccuWeather here on uh, Minneapolis, but I haven't gotten that far. But uh, it's probably going to be cold. It's November in Minneapolis. So um, we'll see what happens. But you get the day game. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about the shadows and, and things like that. One team stands, I guess, in, in uh, TCF Stadium. Uh, one team stands in the shadows on the sideline, and Minnesota usually stands in this in the sun. Will that be a factor? Probably not. But uh, 11 a.m. local start, you're just a little dicey about that because you know, you're not sure how quickly you can get up and go. Of course, I don't think the atmosphere, um, you know, you, you can also flip that on its head. I don't think the atmosphere at 11 o'clock at, in, in Minneapolis is going to be all that great. Uh, I talked to, 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 to Kyle from our Minnesota site earlier this week. He told me the students, they don't show up there either for noon kicks. So I think it's a thing across college football. Um, but that, that's going to be an interesting um, way to approach that game because you've got a obviously a team that runs the ball really well. So I mean, your margin of error is a little bit less when you when you don't throw the ball and you don't turn the ball over like they don't. Um, so it, it'll be interesting, and we're going to get more into the matchup next week. But that's uh, that's a very uh, intriguing game. I can see Penn State being favorited, uh, the, being the favorites in that for good reason. I think they're the better team, but you know it can be tricky. And when you when you throw an early kickoff into it, it just adds to the the, the mess that you have to deal with. Well, fans of these Golden Gophers were ever going to show up to a noon game on time and ready to roll. This is it. Uh, you know, Minnesota, they are 8-0 for the first time since 1941. So we're talking about the same year of the Pearl Harbor attack. Uh, it's a long time generationally to go. If, 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 you, if you're from that area and you've followed that program, it's a special Saturday upcoming. They've got a 10-game win streak that dates back to 2018. And they're number 13 ranking right now, Sean, and they'll have a chance to, to maybe move up depending on what it shakes out on the college football schedule this weekend. They, too, are on a bye week. Uh, their number 13 ranking is the highest since 99. Don't have to, to remind the diehard Penn State listeners out there that in that 1999 season, Minnesota upset anyway. second. Yeah. Uh, but I will, of course, because... Yes, just a reminder. Upset second-ranked Penn State. Uh, that was in Beaver Stadium on the first Saturday of November. And I think, uh, you know, I, I put a piece up uh, on, on Wednesday on our, on our site, lines247.com, uh, breaking down these these final four games just from kind of a, a, a you know, not a, not a zoomed-in perspective. We didn't go over the details uh, of every single team, but kind of what where they're trending, what their season's been about, heading into this uh, final month of the season. And the team beyond Minnesota, I think, is probably getting overlooked, sandwiched in between those two road trips to unbeaten schools. Don't look now, but the Indiana Hoosiers, they're not a world beater. They're not ranked, but they are bowl eligible in October for the first time in 26 years. Uh, you know, there's something to be said to that. Their three-game conference win streak right now, Rutgers, Maryland, at Nebraska, eh. But they're 6-2, and two, Sean. It's an Indiana team that, that, that pushed Penn State to the limit last year in Bloomington, and I think that's one that uh, we'd be remiss if, if we didn't give the Hoosiers a little bit of credit for what they've accomplished to this point in the season and also say uh, Penn State better not view that game as just uh, you know an, an easy cakewalk in between uh, these two last road trips. Yeah, I think there's there's credit to be given to Indiana. I mean, I don't see it's a team that, that's going to beat Penn State. I mean, they finish. They, of course, get uh, Northwestern this weekend, then they have a bye, and then they go to Penn State, and then they play Michigan. So there's a couple of games that, you know, obviously don't uh, don't stack up well for them from, from a visual perspective. So 
but I mean, they've done a really nice job of, uh, of taking what they have on that roster and, and, and really turning it into a team that, that believes they can win. They've won some close games as well. So, uh, you have to give credit to Indiana, but I mean, this is, this is still, if you're ranking them, it's still the third most difficult game Penn state has left. So I, I, I think that, um, if Indiana would catch them, it would catch them looking ahead to Ohio State, but I don't see that. I don't foresee that happening. I like your phrasing there because in a moment we'll get to the fourth most difficult team left on the schedule. But beyond that, Ohio State, just, just quickly going through these four games because these are, we talked about the, the season defining three game stretch. It really defined what the last November was going to be at, uh, about for Penn State, what was going to be at stake. This is now the college football playoff push, and I, and I think that's what Penn State's in the thick of, and that's what we're kind of uh, viewing here. Ohio State, they lose a three-time national championship head coach. I didn't necessarily anticipate a Lincoln-Riley kind of ascension for Ryan Day, but so far it's been essentially that. Uh, he's, he's picked up. I think you could probably compare this Ohio State squad favorably when you, look, when you look at the 2018 and 2017 Buckeyes who both won the Big Ten Championship and both beat Penn State by one point in, in a heartbreaking fashion out there. And Buckeyes are beating opponents by 40 points per game. Uh, they haven't had a conference game that's been closer than 24 points. And, you know, Michigan is going to be interesting for them. It, it looks like the Wolverines, based on that second half against Penn State and last week against the top 10 Notre Dame team, looks like they're beginning to play their best, best football of the season. So that's a, that's always a game that, that awaits for Ohio State down toward the end. But a lot of eyes right now are going to be on Penn State versus Ohio State. And right now, you know, if you're looking for a juggernaut across fo- college football, I know a lot of folks are going to focus in on Alabama versus LSU in, in a couple weekends. Uh, but there's plenty out there who are willing to publicly state that they believe Ohio State is the top team in the country. And I'll be very curious to see where they end up uh, when the college football poll comes out because they have been dominant week in, week out. Just haven't had a lot of lapses that, that you say, oh, it looks like there's some issues cropping up. You know, and, and to a first-year coaching staff, uh, they, they brought in some new pieces there. They brought in a new quarterback that people here are very familiar with. Uh, it's coming together for them in, in, in a pretty tremendous way. And you know, that's obviously going to be where, oh, where Penn State says, sure wish we weren't in the, the East Division because every year you've got to deal with Ohio State instead of maybe getting a shot at them in Indianapolis. It looks like, you know, for all intents and purposes, if things go kind of chalk here, the winner of that Ohio State-Penn State game is going to be expected to face, you know, potentially a 2 maybe even three loss team on the other side. We'll see how Minnesota closes things out, but uh, there's going to be a a major disparity in who is favored yet again in that conference championship game. Uh, So I think a lot of people are going to view Ohio State, Penn State, uh, as kind of a de facto conference title game if both teams enter that matchup unbeaten. I think that's fair. I think you can make an argument that Ohio State's the best team in the country right now. I mean, it's certainly, they're they're very complete. They've got, of course, I got pretty good quarterback play. Now you can, you can argue about whether or not they've been tested as much as you think they are, but they've, you know, steamrolled everybody that they've played so far pretty much. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's the one that's going to come down to, it's going to be a, a really a looks contest because, you know, if Penn state goes out there and, and puts up, you know, a really good fight, you know, of course you always want to win the game, but if you, you know, if you show out and you, you're, if it's a close game, I mean, you've got an opportunity to, to put yourself back in the playoff with a loss, which you don't typically see. So um, be interesting to see how that one plays out. And uh, then then they have another game, Tyler. And um, I'm sorry, the, we, we did some market research. We had some people come up to the tailgate. People <laughs> love when I bang on you for Rutgers. So I'm just, I, I have to keep going. It's what the people want. 
Uh, hey, as long as we can get Rutgers involved here somehow, it's 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 a fun part of the conversation. I can't wait to see what you have in store Thanksgiving week when Rutgers comes to town. Uh, probably a nice weekend for for the kids to be off uh, from campus, and uh, tickets will be available for all the Scarlet Knights listeners out there if they want to make the pilgrimage and and watch the season finale. And and yeah, that'll be November thirtieth. It's a team that's already fired its head coach. That happened in September. It's a team that saw its starting quarterback and, and, and top offensive playmaker say, "We're good. We're gonna." red shirt we're probably going to leave campus after the season um and uh yeah so that's that that wraps things up and and if penn state gets to that game on on beaten uh then then people people will really be able to start booking their trip to indianapolis probably but um yeah ruckers ruckers waits in the wing last uh, and that's a nice way to finish off the season if you're uh penn state because you know ohio state minnesota indiana as i said uh, combined two losses between those three th- those three teams, uh, 24-7 Sports, our national desk, Sean, they put out a, a path to the playoffs and, and, and ranking them in degrees of difficulty for everybody who's in that college football playoff conversation. They had Penn State as the second most difficult schedule. So again, uh, they have earned their way to this point to a top five uh, status, but uh, they're going to have to you know do it all over again these next four years because uh, or ne- these next four weeks because it, it is a challenging challenging thing. And it, at this point, though, it's difficult to doubt these young Penn State players because uh, they have been pretty unwavering. They have not blinked uh, under some difficult circumstances, but uh, we'll we'll continue to learn more about them in the, in the month ahead. Yeah, I feel that that this is a you know it's going to be a good test for them. Of course, that three game stretch that we just talked about was you know it, it was something that they needed to recover from the bye week. Of course, uh, predictably came at a really good time. But uh, yeah, you go out there to Minnesota, and and this is where your defense can step up and and really you know they're they're playing at an elite level right now. They've got the elite statistics, but uh, when you can sort of go out and crush a team um, and just uh, you know impose your will on them on the road, I think that's another test to do that. Uh, Minnesota. For what it is, do we know if they're good yet or not? I I don't know, but uh, I guess we're gonna find out, and that's uh, that's why they play the game. So I'm excited to see how they handle these. Um, of course, you you don't mark the season as success on October 31st. Uh, we'll see where they stand in a couple of weeks, and it should be fun to watch. Yeah, a few notes to pass along. Penn State has made it to 10-0 once as a Big Ten member. That was back in 1994 when they went on beaten but did not get a shot to play for the national championship. Penn State hasn't won 12 games since that 94 season. And if they are to get to 11 wins, which means three more wins and, and you're working with four regular season games and at least one postseason game of at least a bowl variety, 11 wins in three of four seasons will be the first such occurrence for this program uh, since 1993 through 1996. So we're talking about, again, before the current players were born, the players who are making this happen, that's a long time coming. And, and who better to pick the brain about this program's ascension, about how this program is recruiting than James Franklin himself? Probably should have mentioned this at the top of the show. I think it's probably going to be in the title of this podcast and on the headline for the site. But James Franklin had a choice, had a chance to join uh, our our guys Steve Wiltfong, Alan Treu, with the big, I'm sorry, notorious Big, and that's spelled like Big Ten podcast. Uh, those guys do a great job. Uh, you know, they they keep their their scope on the national uh, perspective. Do a ton of recruiting work. If you know Steve or Alan, uh, their work has been featured prominently on Penn State site uh, throughout the years, and and it will continue to be so as we get closer to the early signing period. But they had a chance to have a conversation with James Franklin, who surprise surprise has hit the recruiting trail during this bye week. Um, not exactly resting, but some good conversation here. A little bit of a different view than, than the James Franklin that 
we get on the beat uh, during our weekly media availabilities, and I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, that is going on right now. We're excited to have Coach James Franklin return to the Notorious B1G podcast this morning. Coaches on the road recruiting 8-0, the Nittany Lions, ranked in the top five nationally. Coach, we had Tom Allen on the show earlier this week, and we asked him if he had uh, any legendary recruiting stories from the the road. Do you have any all-timers in your career uh, of just some fun or maybe not so fun uh, recruiting <laughs> stories? I know you were dealing with a little weather this morning, uh, and it got you late and late to your destination. Do you have any any all-timers? Well, first of all, let me say I, I, I'm a big fan of Tom Allen. He's done a great job at Indiana. Um, I like being around the guy. He's got passionate passion. He's got intensity. Um, been very impressed with what he's been able to do for Indiana. It's good for Indiana. It's good for our conference. Um, you know, I got a thousand, you know, recruiting stories. Um, you know, when I was at Vanderbilt and recruiting Memphis, you know, one of the things is obviously in recruiting, you get to see a lot. You get to see what high schools are really about. Um, you know, you walk into some high schools and they're very challenging. You walk into other high schools and, you know, they're very privileged. And um, it gives you, I think, a very unique perspective on our country and the education system. I've done home visits with kids with no furniture, with no lights, having to use my cell phone to read scholarship papers to the family. Um, you know, I've really seen it all. I recruited in the SEC. Uh, when I was at Vanderbilt and every other school had private planes and I was flying Southwest, I'll never forget, you know, sitting there in the SEC head coaches meetings and a couple of coaches talking about a couple of coaches talking about how their ADs have allowed them to use these private planes with, with multiple pilots in case something happens. I said, well, we always have had multiple pilots. And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, Southwest behind that closed locked door, they always have two pilots up there. So, you know, just I'm a D2 guy. I've coached and recruited D2 and one AA and one A. I've been a head coach and assistant and a recruiting coordinator. So I've kind of seen it all. And, um, you know, I, I love it because it's it's driving around and seeing seeing buddies that are high school coaches and starting to develop relationships with players, which is what it's all about and their families and if that relationship is strong and there's a tremendous amount of trust, then you have the ability to to really maximize their experience once they get on campus. Speaking of places to go in recruiting, how about Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, where you found Robert Windsor? Um, you guys don't go into Wisconsin a ton. And I believe at the time that you offered him a scholarship, he wasn't like this big time recruit. He kind of blew up after that. How did you find Robert and what did you see? What did your staff see? when you decided to pull the trigger on him? Well, I, I think you guys know, you know, as, as well as, as we do, how hard it is to find E tackles. And to, to me, that is the difference in major. They're able to get them consistently. And then you got those programs that, if you know, are, are trying to build their program and, and they're taking some risk. And then you got the programs that are kind of in the middle and they're trying to find them and, and they're, they're hard to find and you're battling for those guys. So for us, this was early on in our process. We were trying to find guys. Uh, we watched his tape. We were excited, you know, got involved with him. 
and it came from a great high school program, had a really good strength and conditioning program, uh, you know, just was really impressed with him. And then Wisconsin ended up offering him late. Um, he had a girlfriend that he thought he was going to marry and, and she wanted him to go to Wisconsin. So that was, that was a battle, but we were able to get him on board and he's really developed. You know, he always was a big, strong, athletic guy, but he's just matured in so many different areas of his life. He's embraced our program. Um, and right now he's reaping the rewards of, of his hard work and his trust in us as a staff and uh, having a great year. And I think he's got a very, very bright future at the next level as well. You know, he's a six foot four, 295 pound guy who can run and bend. Um, I think he's going to impress people with his testing numbers and things like that. So, you know, he's been a big part of our early success in, in leading the nation and run defense and one of the top defenses in total defense. So he's been a big part of it. Is the girlfriend Coach, still around or is she back in Fond du Lac? No, she's gone. It usually doesn't. I tell all the recruits when they show up, some of them come with their girlfriends and I say, guys, this, this probably ain't going to last. Uh, you know, um, but no, it, it, he's been, he's been, he's been phenomenal. And, and so is mom and dad. Mom and dad drive to every single game. Um, you know, they've, they've been great. So you've battled Urban Meyer. You've battled heavyweights on the trail. You've battled fiancés. Uh, you've battled the local state U. What do you remember about Micah Parsons recruitment, coach? Well, M Micah was, was all over the map. You know, we, we do it different than a lot of people. You know, um, it's one of the reasons I really struggle when, when guys decommit from us because literally when, when guys try to commit to us and their families try to commit to us, we actually spend a good deal of time trying to talk them out of it. Um, you know, don't commit unless you're a hundred percent. I'd rather you, I'd rather you not commit than commit to us and change your mind down the road. So, you know, what if this school offers you? No, I'm a hundred percent coach. Well, what if the Philadelphia Eagles try to draft you right out of high school? No, coach, I'm going to Penn State to get my education. I'll be back in four years. You know, we spent a lot of time trying to talk guys out of committing to make sure that they're a hundred percent, which I think a lot of schools pressure guys. Um, so for us, you know, when they try to decommit, it's, it's painful because I'm like, well, what are we talking about? We went through this in detail and, and talked the entire process through and what it meant and what, and what the word commitment means, you know? So, um, with Micah, he, he was, he was that guy. He wanted to commit early on. He'd been up to Penn state like 20 times, wanted to commit. We talked him out of it, told him to go on visits. He went on a bunch more visits, came back, still wanted to commit. We took his commitment. He kind of blew up to a whole nother level nationally. Got a lot of people in his ear, uh, decommitted, named his dog, uh, after, uh, after he says it, it wasn't, but named his dog after, you know, a mascot of, of one of our schools that we, we, we fight with in our conference. <laughs> Fans were going crazy, and then we were able to get him and, and mom and dad back on board with us and and uh, is doing so well, and I couldn't be more proud of him academically, athletically, socially, all of it. He's really doing well, and I'm proud of him. And obviously, he's been an impactful player on Saturdays as well. Should we know his dog's name? Is that on social media? Yeah, it'd be easy for you guys to Google and find it. I'm not saying it, but it'd be easy for you guys to find. I already found it. I will talk about it after you hang up, Coach. 
Thank you. I, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Please don't put me through it again. Coach, you knocked on the door of the college football playoff two times a couple seasons ago. The way you guys are recruiting this roster now and, and moving forward, is it similar, tr- trending better than the, those football teams from a talent standpoint across the board? Well, to be honest with you, you know, we probably got in that position probably sooner than than you know uh, what anybody expected, and we probably got in that position sooner than maybe our roster supported. Not from a talent standpoint, but probably from a depth standpoint. Um, you know, just coming off of sanctions, taking his job at one of the most challenging times and you know, college football history and one of the most challenging times specifically in, in Penn State's history. And in year three, first year off of sanctions, win a Big Ten championship and, you know, finish fifth. And, you know, you know, obviously, you know, we won the Big Ten championship and then didn't get into the to the playoffs. So, uh, you know, challenging situation. But, you know, I, I think we keep chipping away at it. Um, I think we have gotten better and created more depth and had more stability um, every year. Uh, that's coaches. That's all of it. Um, but I, I think that's really the next step for us. If you look at the, you know, those programs that are consistently in the playoffs, um, their roster supports that. I mean, you look at you look at what they're able to do from uh, from a depth and from a talent standpoint. They also have the ability in hiring. It's amazing. Some people say, well, these people just continue to win whether they lose coaches or not. Well, they have the budget to go out and hire whoever they want um, in the country. They, they literally say who they want to hire and they go hire them. Um, so it's all those things. It's, it's, it's been a process with Penn State for us to understand that we need to compete in every aspect. If, if our facilities are not where they need to be, if our um, budget for staff is not where it needs to be, if it's academic support, if it's dorms, you know, at this point, you are typically losing recruits, not for what you have, but for the areas that you're lacking. And with the teams that we're competing against, they're not lacking in any area. So if you are lacking, that becomes glaring. So, you know, we've been chipping away at it and have made a lot of progress in a short period of time. But it's really that mentality that you better be willing to compete in every single area. Your training table, the, you know, the food that you have. You, you better compete in every single area because the best of the best, um, you know, they want to make sure that they're going to have the type of support in every area to maximize their experience on campus. You've played in the SEC. You've coached against the powerhouse programs in the Big Ten and the SEC. Maybe you're, maybe we're talking about some young guys in your program, like a Jason Owe and Micah Parsons, but uh, your O line. But do you feel like, from a talent standpoint, you guys have championship level talent in your facility right now in every position room? Yeah, I, I think we're we're closing the gap. Um, Every day, I, I think I think we're part of that argument now. Um, you'd like to make it where it's not even a discussion. It's clearly obvious to everybody, but we're there. Um, you know, we're we're part of that conversation. We're making progress. I think for 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 me, it always starts up front. Um, having the depth and talent and size, um, you know, 
through uh, three deep on your offense and defensive line. Um, it all starts there, and we've made significant progress there. We, we still need to go, um, especially when it comes to offensive tackles. I think offensive tackles are a little bit like defensive linemen. You know, you can find this six foot three, six foot four, maybe guard tackle swing guy, but a true tackle body length with athleticism to block these guys on the edge. Um, you know, those guys are hard to find. So, um, you know, we still got some progress we got to make there, but for the most part, uh, you're going to show up, you're going to watch our practice, you're going to watch our guys move, you're going to look at their body types, and you're going to say, well, you know, Penn State's roster is significantly ill-improved and is part of that conversation. And then as you're getting ready to face Minnesota the next week um, after your bye week, how do you assess what they've done up there this year? Well, it, they, they've done a great job. You know, the way I describe it, you know, I've known PJ for a while, um, did a great job at Western Michigan, obviously has done a great job there. They're, they're a program that knows how to win. You know, I talk to my team all the time. You know, 70% of college football teams will beat themselves uh, with with penalties and turnovers and, and lack of discipline. Um, they don't do that. You know, they're going to, you're going to, they're going to make you beat them. Uh, obviously going on the road against the ranked opponent in this conference, there's a buzz about their program. They're excited. Uh, it's, it's, it's a beautiful venue. Um, and he's recruited well. You know, you look at their offensive line, they're massive. Um, you look at their wide receivers. Uh, I think probably the best wide receivers we have faced this year. Um, and defensively, they are playing fast and hard and aggressive. Uh, they're a big time of possession team. They're very efficient. Uh, and I think they've done a good job. You look at their roster. Um, they've done a good job of going and finding guys in, you know, in probably areas that, you know, aren't typical recruiting hotbeds. They've also gone, gone into areas and maybe taken a guy that wasn't highly recruited, but has really turned into elite players for them. And, and Minnesota's really always done that. They, you, you look at their roster, even under the previous staffs, they've, they've done a good job of uncovering talent uh, in unusual places. Guys in their roster that you wouldn't think would be at Minnesota, you know, based on whether it's Alabama or whatever it may be. Um, they've done a really good job. So tremendous respect uh, for, for Coach Fleck and his staff and what they've been able to do so far. Coach, last thing for me, your roster is full of top two, four, seven guys in every position room. But one one spot where you guys haven't maybe landed that quote unquote elite guy uh, in our world, but but these these guys that you've put in there under center have been difference makers for you. This quarterback, what do you think is unique about the way you guys evaluate that position and, and the way you target and recruit guys? And, and why the QB1 on your depth chart has, has been so successful throughout your career? Well, I think a couple things. If you go all the way back to Vanderbilt, um, we take a lot of pride in how we develop the position. My offensive coordinator played quarterback. I played quarterback in college. I think that helps. You understand the position. You understand the challenges. A lot of programs around the country are going to the transfer market, uh, and that's fine. You know, we, we may do that at some point as well, but I do think it speaks volumes when you develop your quarterbacks through your system. You recruited them. You developed. We've done that time and time again. Trace McSorley is the quarterback that nobody wanted. 
we were only one of, you know, only maybe the only school in the country that offered him for the position and, you know, went down as, as one of the better quarterbacks in college football and is now, you know, playing in the NFL. Another thing that people thought he would never do at that six foot, um, you know, obviously Sean's doing a great job for us right now. So uh, we've been in those battles. We had the number one player and the number one quarterback in the country committed to us for, for nine months. Um, you know, we, we just, we just got to continue to do it, but I'm very proud of how we have developed the position on our roster. Um, I'm very proud of how we've recruited as well. Uh, and I think people that are out there, you know, as quarterbacks and quarterback coaches and high school coaches say, where do I want to send my guy? I think they got to look at Penn state because of the, the success that we've had in developing the position. Well, Coach, I know you got recruiting to get to. We thank you to, for joining us this week. Uh, good luck on the trail, and then good luck against the Gophers next week. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Have a wonderful day. Take care, Coach Franklin. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Coach James Franklin there on the Notorious B1G Recruiting Podcast, Allen, um, Penn State. He talked about their roster, and we talked about it before he jumped on with, with their recruiting class, just – chipping away at it with better depth and, and sp- stability and, and, and really just wants it to not be part of the discussion, but obvious that, that talent and, and, and that they're obviously a playoff contender every year. Yeah. And I think it's a place where they can do that. You talk about, you talked about how their roster is a blend. It sounds like to me, he wants to lessen that blend and fill it with more blue chippers and feels like they can get to a point where they're a Clemson type of program where the roster is just full of guys who are coveted by the entire country, guys who are blue chip recruits, and um, they, they are getting closer to that mark, I, but to that point, I don't I, think they're ever going to turn away from guys like uh, Robert Windsor, who we just talked about. Well, I think their roster is similar to Clemson in the sense that Clemson does have their 12 or 13 blue chippers, but then they have their evaluation wins too, and, and, and to the Zariah Fisher point and some of those other guys. I, I think that that's the lane that Penn State's going to recruit in from a proximity standpoint. And, and, and uh, but, but you can win a championship that way as Penn State's, pro- or excuse me, as Clemson's proven. And, and uh, I think that the way that Penn State's building their roster uh, on the trail with, with your five star Micah Parsons type recruiting wins, but also your high upside value three star wins. I think Penn State may be the program that's closest to the way Clemson's the Clemson model. I know Washington was getting a lot of lot of buzz in that regard uh, as well out west, but I think Penn State's uh, closer to it than, than Washington when you just look at wins and losses on Saturdays and some of the big wins that Penn State's had. Yeah, I feel like Washington kind of had that one magical year, but on a consistent basis, Penn State's been closer to challenging for the college football playoff. And uh, so I think that they are and they're currently trending in a better direction. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens next week as all eyes will be on Minneapolis. A noon kick at uh, in, in the Twin Cities as Penn State comes to town. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Big thanks to Steve and Alan. They do great work. Be sure to check out their podcast, Notorious B.I.G., uh, podcast and, and they've got the Big Ten covered recruiting uh, game action and, and good stuff there with Coach Franklin. Thanks to him for sacrificing some of his time on a bye week uh, for our 24-7 sports coverage. Um, so we are happy to, to, to take to take that and swipe that from their podcast and apply it to this one because we know there's not necessarily going to be a, a ton of crossover listeners and, and maybe they just gained some on their show. Hopefully that is the case. But Sean, looking ahead here a little bit, we did get Franklin for a bit on Tuesday and it was you know more the conventional conversation and during a bye week you're not necessarily expecting to get much we didn't really get uh, a lot on the injury front but we did get news on a player who will miss the Minnesota matchup Antonio Shelton um, who was ejected midway through the fourth quarter at Michigan State uh, spit in the direction of a Michigan State offensive lineman Uh, we don't know what led to that but uh, Antonio Shelton was uh, very apologetic pretty quickly went on with a a Twitter post on Saturday evening expressing his remorse for his actions and, and stating how that was not how he wanted to represent uh, the Penn State football community. James Franklin echoed that in his post-game press conference, and on Tuesday he confirmed that Shelton will be suspended for the Minnesota matchup. Yeah, a little surprising that it's going to be the whole game, but I think it's more of an all-or-nothing situation. Uh, the Big Ten also issued a reprimand on that, but uh, it's it, I mean it's going to whether whether the the suspension is the right call or not, it's happened. So might as well just talk about how that's going to impact Penn State. Uh, PJ Mustafer obviously going to get his first start. Uh, this is where this is an interesting thing because uh, Minnesota loves to run the ball. They they do a really good job running the ball, and so, so all of a sudden you're thinning out your defense. Antonio Shelton has played very well for based on his expect the expectations everybody had for him coming into the season. I think a lot of people thought that Mustafer would have passed him over by now, but they, he has not done that. He's been productive in there beside Rob Windsor. Um, so this is going to be a, a situation you're going to see Windsor and Mustafer eat up most of those snaps. And it's been kind of running at about a 55-60% clip for Windsor and, and the starter. Excuse me, for Windsor as the starter. And then Shelton and Mustafer just a little bit below that. So you're going to see more of PJ this week. You're still going to see plenty of Fred Hansard. You asked Franklin this week about uh, how they would absorb those uh, those snaps. He mentioned Judge Culpepper. I think that's an interesting uh, uh, an interesting mention because you know you, you always talk about Hansard coming in. There was a lot of talk in the preseason about Damian Barber. Barber didn't even travel. I believe it was to Iowa. So um, you, you know you've got some different options out there. Culpepper played against Michigan State fairly early. I mean, actually early enough that I think we took note that he was in there. So um, be interesting to see how they handle that of course Penn State's going to move some guys around Itor Gross Matos can be in there I don't think we're at the point where you see Hakeem Beeman although they're they've been high on what Hakeem Beeman has done and he played in the game against Michigan State there at the end don't think he's quite there um, so it, it's it's just going to be interesting how they they spread out these snaps because I don't think it's just going to be moving a guy up, moving Culpepper up and playing uh, him alongside of Fred Hansard on that second defensive line. I think you're going to see a lot more of Windsor and Mustafer. And as we said, Minnesota really likes to run that ball. So this is a this is a notable uh, a notable absence for Penn State. 
Yeah, anticipating uh, you know a a tighter rotation, I guess is the is the way to put it, rather than seeing uh, you know more guys involved and and uh, you're, I think you're going to see, like you said, Mustafer Windsor out there for extended periods that we're not necessarily accustomed to. Mustafer, you know, this is this is the beauty of this Penn State defense. This is a big reason why this Penn State defense has been so successful. Though they haven't really needed to turn to a lot of of, of second players due to injuries. But here's the suspension. Guess what you've got? You got PJ Mustafer, who's already played a ton of football in his career. Didn't redshirt last year. Has has essentially been a one A one B situation with with Shelton during his sophomore season. Uh, and by the way, a, a former top five defensive tackle prospect who is ready for this moment, in my opinion. I think if you ask any of the coaches, uh, they would echo that. You know, James Franklin called him a coach's dream earlier this season in the way he prepares. He says he works just too hard uh, to not be successful at the college level. We've seen that. We've we've seen it in flashes. I believe you picked PJ Mustfer as your midseason, you know, second half breakout. You know, here's a great opportunity for him to do that. Uh, be curious to see him, uh, you know, rush the passer a little bit. I think that's that's a, something we haven't seen a ton of during his time at Penn State. But I know that's what Sean Spencer really thinks stands out about him when compared to some of the other defensive tackles in this group. And it is notable whenever James Franklin goes out of his way to point out one particular player because he's more often going out of his way to not point out any particular player. Judge Culpepper coming out of his mouth there. Um, we, we saw him for, for about a half dozen snaps. Saw Damian Barber for pretty much the same amount of snaps at Michigan State. But him pointing to Judge Culpepper tells you a little bit about the trajectory of that redshirt freshman who, uh, as as anyone knows who follows recruitment, uh, his dad w- was an all-timer at defensive tackle for, for the Florida Gators. Played about a decade at that position in the NFL. So this is a young man who is uh, well-suited for his moment when it comes. And it, and it appears that that may be right now. Now. Yeah, and like I said, I think they'll see them move around some guys. Uh, they've played some interior with Ito Gross Matos. I don't know how many of those guys can really hold up for more than a couple of snaps, but you know, it gives you options. We've seen some three-man fronts. We've seen defensive ends dropping into uh, into coverage and things like that. So, you know, Sean Spencer and Brent Pryor will get together and, and, and figure out the best course of action. But right now, it's it's got to be PJ. So um, b- besides that, we, we saw um, not much of practice this week. I think I think it, it, it bears explaining what we saw at practice uh, in the bye week. It's a non-travel scrimmage. So if, if you're looking for updates on Noah Kane or John Reed, whether or not they were out there running around, they wouldn't have been anyway. They were out there. They were in pads. They were hanging out with the coaches, just standing there watching like everybody else. We see the freshmen out there playing. We see the the young guys, a lot of the walk-ons. Saw a lot of Nick Yuri, which I know that gets uh, some people excited. He ran the ball really hard at the scrimmage the other night, um, but really can't take too much away from from what we saw um, from those regulars there at practice, even though they were all out there. And, you know, nothing really seemed uh, to, to be all out of the ordinary. James Franklin said afterward, that things are about what he said they would be coming out of the uh, Michigan State game in which, you know, not really expecting any of those injuries to bleed over. That remains to be seen. But, uh, you know, just seeing them out there is a good thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it it was interesting. Uh, I love that Nick Yuri wears number 40. I love that uh, Mike Allstott, you know, that's the first jersey I wore. I don't know if that's the connection, but it works uh, the way he was running out there. You know, it, I think it's good. I mean, this gives this gives, uh, you know, some of the guys a chance to step back and, and try to develop some fresh legs. I don't think anyone will fully have fresh legs in November when you start in early August. But, you know, guys like Lamont Wade uh, shouting from across the field and, and, you know, some good trash talk going on um, as they watch some of the younger players and, and some of the guys who just aren't going to get opportunities to get into games over the 
the course of the rest of this year. Uh, pretty cool to see it. And again, one thing that always stands out, whether we see the scout team, Sean, or whether, whether we see a, a non-travel scrimmage like this, that defensive line that Penn State has, speaking to the depth, it's a good-looking group out there. And, and I don't know what it looked like when, when you were covering the team the first few years of, of Franklin's uh, tenure here. But I know what it looked like the last couple of years, and, and there is a significant bump just from 2017 when I showed up on the beat to where we are now in terms of what they can present on a scout team in the, in the uh, trenches. Yeah, you've got guys. You've got uh, Hakeem Beeman, who we mentioned earlier. The staff's been very high on his play so far. Uh, Joseph Darkwa is huge. He hasn't seen game action yet, but he's still very, so very So is Smith Wilbert. And Smith Vilbert there in the end is huge as well. So that that defensive line, basically, when I go to my people in the program and say, "Hey, tell me about these freshmen who's standing out," they usually default to the, to the defensive line as a whole. I think Beeman's probably the guy that's ahead of everyone else uh, at that point right now. Of course, Adisa Isaac's playing already, so it's not uh, you know it's not totally uh, you know it's not completely that guy. Um, but uh, no, it's it's been fun to watch those guys because they give them a look on scout team and then they get out there and they get after the quarterbacks. And, and I think that's really the one thing that I. I I was watching closest. You had Michael Johnson Jr. and Taquan Roberson out there as quarterbacks. Didn't throw the ball a ton. Uh, Johnson completed a nice ball to John Dunmore on the other side. Um, but really, it was mostly it was a lot of Nick Yuri. And, uh, you know, I think they're looking looking forward to that Rutgers game to see if they can get the Lawn Boys chain onto uh, Nick Yuri because <laughs> that would be perfect. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued by Michael Johnson Jr. He's He's been a guy, and, and Franklin alluded to this afterward, when you really when you practice all season long, you don't get to see the running threat that these quarterbacks are. Michael Johnson Jr. has caused some buzz, uh, you know, it, I guess in the open field as a runner because you know what kind of athlete he is. You know what kind of tape that he he put up as a high school more athlete than quarterback. He's been kind of the third guy. We've seen him out there at the uh, you know in the varsity practices, sort of sitting behind the offense, soaking things up. Now we've seen some of Roberson too, but we seem to see a little bit more of Michael Johnson, which you know kind of tells me he's above Roberson or ahead of Rosa, Roberson ever so slightly right now. I think that uh, both of those guys, based on what we've seen. You don't want them in a game right now. I mean, no, this is no offense to either one of those guys, but there would be a lot coming at them um, to throw them in there. So you've got uh, Clifford, you've got Levis. You don't have to worry about the, throwing those other two guys in there. But uh, yeah, just uh, very interesting to see how they've handled some things. Roberson, I think you saw was a better passer um, coming out, but I think Johnson has made some strides in that uh, in that regard. I don't think again they're 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 ready to to compete or be close to being a starter, but you're seeing some development there. You're seeing some guys. Uh, you know, understanding what Big Ten football is about. They took both of them on the trip to Michigan State. That was, uh, you know, certainly worth uh, raising some eyebrows. So uh, the quarterbacks are really one of those things that you try to, um, I guess, evaluate more so than the other guys that are out there. Couldn't draw a ton from this scrimmage, but you saw a little bit of progress there. Yeah, and I do think that there is a difference between game experience, which both of them are lacking right now, and maybe we won't see them enter any game all season, but they have game day experience, going on the road, knowing the professional approach you need to take to put yourself in a position to succeed, dealing with, with the night game and, and, and the sights and sounds of a place like Kinnick Stadium, which which they got to experience a couple weeks ago, and then sit, standing there in the rain and the slop and seeing how Sean Clifford uh, went about operating Ricky Ronnie's offensive attack in those kind of circumstances. They get a first first-hand look they're not back home you know sitting in the players lounge watching on a big screen tv what have you they are right there in the thick of it and I think that's beneficial that that'll help them long term because eventually you'd like to think Penn State will be counting on one or both of them uh you know 
to go on the road in, in, in a similar environment, maybe the same stadium someday, and, and come away with the win. So, you know, something to be said there. We Still, the depth chart reflects that as an or situation. And until we actually see Penn State need to turn to a third quarterback, something I'm sure Penn State fans are fine with not seeing this year, uh, that's, that's a question that will probably be left unresolved. Um, in terms, Sean, of, of, of awards, the, the, you're starting to get that, that buzz going now. Obviously, the Heisman, it starts from week one. But some of these other awards, and, and starting off, though, the Big Ten Weekly Honors going to Blake Gillikin, Special Teams Player of the Week for what he accomplished at Michigan State. His second award there in three weeks, and and three weeks ago he was the first punter to win this award in a Penn State uniform since 2009. Now he gets two in three weeks. Shows you the kind of level he is performing at right now, especially on the road in both of those instances. And then Jason Oway. Two strip sacks. His moment came. We talked about it on the post-game show. Uh, if I call it every week, I'm bound to be right. It happened at Michigan State. He was that weapon off the edge that we thought he could be. We saw him a lot in circumstances where they slid Itor Grossmatos uh, inside uh, uh, for pa- obvious passing down situations and had him opposite of Shaka Tony. He was named the co-freshman player of the week in the Big Ten for his efforts against Michigan State. So just a couple to note there. Yeah, I want to talk more about Blake Gillikin, but I don't think people are understanding how fantastic he's been, especially, you know, last weekend in that situation, in in the rain situation that he was in. Uh, So, I mean, it's been a a phenomenal run for him. He's really helped them. You know, field position is so big. We talk about it every week and and really he's, he's really put them in a good spot and really given Penn State the upper hand, especially when you're pinning back bad defenses or excuse me, bad offenses. Um, you got a, You got an opportunity to put those guys in a hole and, and sort of change the game. So Blake Gillikin put, you know, making an effort for all Big Ten. I uh, haven't scouted the entire Big Ten in terms of punters, but it's good to win that weekly honor twice. Jason Away, of course, you called it. Pat Fryermuth, uh, you know, he's uh, he, he, the Mackey Award uh, goes to the best tight end in the country. I think he's he's making an argument for that. And again, haven't scoured the country in terms of tight ends, but there's not a ton of tight ends catching three touchdowns in a game and, and putting up multiple, multiple touchdown games. So um, really impressed with the way that Fryermuth has played. Um, certainly, you know, putting himself out there as not only one of the Big Ten's best and, and really a regional guy, but one of the national, uh, a guy on the national level that's really stepped up that position. Yeah, he becomes the first Penn State tight end to catch three touchdowns in a game uh, along the way, tying Mike Kosicki atop the career touchdown leaderboard at Penn State history with 15. Um, again, just a sophomore, still four games left in that sophomore season. Um, and, and with Fryermuth, that was his second time winning the John Mackey weekly tight end uh, of, the, of the country award, best tight end in college football on a weekly basis. Uh, so yeah, I'd say he's in a good spot to be a finalist uh, when they when they trim that down to a, to a national winner. Um, additionally, some other national awards that were beginning to, to, to trim down their options. 20 guys left in the Maxwell Award Hunt. That goes to the Player of the Year, one of the more historic uh, awards in college football. Uh, and K.J. Hamler is one of those 20 finalists, Sean, a guy who has uh, tied for the Big Ten receiving uh, lead right now with eight touchdown catches through eight games. Um, we've seen him in the last couple of weeks show what he can do as a special teams returner, as although both touchdowns wiped off the board due to penalties. Uh, picked up a first down late against Michigan State with his feet as a runner. Um, he is a dynamic threat. And then additionally, on the defensive side of the football, the Benaric Award, which goes to the top defensive player of the year in college football. Two semifinalists out of those 20 Itor Grossmatos, Micah Parsons. So Penn State's uh, superb defense is is well represented on that list. I believe they are one of three schools uh, that produced multiple semifinalists for Defensive Player of the Year award. 
and we'll see who can make the finalist along with Chase Young because he's going to win it because he's freaking good, man. We're going to take out an extended mailbag, went to the boards at Lions 24-7 to take some questions, so we're going to buzz through these and and get out of here for the weekend. Uh, I think a very general one, which is one that we probably should have talked about before, what's the biggest surprise about this team eight games in? I'm going to go with the offensive line. Um, I, I think they've played better than, than people will give them credit for. I think uh, I've said it before. It's an easy out to criticize the offensive line, especially when you don't go back and watch them. But they, they've done a good job. Michael Mennett and Will Fries have played really good football. Uh, Steven Gonzalez has come along in the last couple of weeks. You're still kind of figuring out that right guard position. Mike Miranda's usually getting the start. C.J. Thorpe got the start last weekend. You know, you can see them when they want to run the ball. They're going to go behind C.J. Thorpe. Don't know if that's a tendency thing. Don't know if that's something that, uh, you know, they're just, you're putting them out there when you know you're going to run the ball. It's hard to say. But Rasheed Walker really, I think, has been the the, the guy in terms of, you know, how the, how good this unit could be versus how good you expected this unit to be. We expected Rasheed to, to, to have some, some slip-ups. You know, maybe he's had one or two, but he's gone against some really good defensive ends in the last couple of weeks, and he's more than held his own. So, Really excited about the future of that. Again, Mennett was one of my, I think he was my uh, first half MVP because I left you guys with KJ Hamler and you did not take advantage of that. Um, but uh, yeah, Mennett's been fantastic. Will Fries has been, you know, he's played his best ball. So I'll go with the offensive line here because it's been, uh, you know, almost a point of strength and you don't want to jinx it because you know what's coming up in this lineup in the next four games. But, uh, you know, they've done a really, really nice job. And I think Matt Limegrover, James Franklin was quick to, uh, to, to point to him last week. I think Matt Limegrove has actually done a really good job. I have offensive line written down too. You kind of presented the case that I was going to say, and that, you know, the fact that we're on the same page there, we were on the same page in August too. And it was kind of a reversed course. It was us having trepidation about this group, wondering if it maybe it would impede the development of the offense at large. And I think if anything, it has generated more opportunities for your young quarterback and certainly for the rushing game when you've had a turn to it late. Uh, and, and I will say using seven guys that, and being able to use the consistent seven guys through eight games, health, health is a big, uh, a big, uh, important factor. And you can call it a surprise to see any college football team this healthy, this deep into the season. I'm going to go with that. We haven't seen Penn state need to mount any kind of comeback or late score facing a late deficit. We have seen them need to, to slam the door on teams late. Uh, Michigan of note more recently. Uh, but but this has been a team that when they've had their issues, you know, they, they've kind of, you know, gone into halftime, you know, Pitt, Buffalo with, with, with slim deficits or tie games. And then they put it on cruise control. And in the rest of these matchups, they're up 21 nothing. They're up 28 nothing before anyone has a chance to get settled in their seat. So I guess my surprise is for, for a team that came in with so many unknown, you know, commodity first year starters, especially on offense, they have not been a situation where they need to dig themselves out of any kind of hole in any of these eight games. Now, I think that will change in the next, uh, you know, four weeks. And when I say hole, I don't mean a 20 point deficit. I, I just mean, you know, you need a score to win the game and you got five minutes to do it. It's, it's, it's kind of what helps seal the deal on Trace McSorley's legacy at Penn State in a lot of circumstances. It's a moment we had not seen, uh, presented to Sean Clifford, but that also is, is because they have done a nice job of, of closing things out early and, and leaning on the defense to put it away. I think there's a lot of criticisms that we expected to make about this team. Of course, the four minute offense and running things out. And I think that that goes back to what, you, what your point is. We really haven't seen them in that situation all that much. And, and they've been able to do it in a sense that 
you don't think about. I mean, you're getting first downs, you're going for, uh, you know, it's it's becoming more of a routine. And when you can get that routine or when you can get that outlying, um, I guess, uh, adversity to become routine, then you really don't think about it. So that's good. Um, you know, biggest surprise, another big surprise for me, the wide receiver balance. I mean, you knew it was going to be KJ Hamler coming into the season. We've talked about Shorter and George at the X position. I'm, you know, I, I just keep going back. What's Weston Carr thinking right now, man? Because he came in as a grad transfer. He hoped to play, um, you know, look good in the season opener. He's still got three, just just three catches this year. So I think the wide receiver balance, you know, could be better. But when you're 8-0, you're kind of like splitting hairs and, and finding negatives to talk about. So um, that's just one to throw out there. Moving on, uh, let's see where are we at on the list here. With Liam Clifford on board, do you expect to see Sean's potentially staying longer through his redshirt senior year in order to play with his brother? I mean, if the opportunity is there, he's got to take it. I, I don't know that it's going to be there, um, but I, I think that uh, Clifford, to me, is a five-year quarterback. Um, I, I don't see anything that really pops to make him a potential first-rounder or anything like that. So I don't think that option is really going to be, you know, one that uh, one that you think about as as uh, you know, you know, you're going into next season thinking that he could leave after the year. So I, I don't see that being an issue. I, but if the opportunity is there, I, he's definitely got to take it. I mean, you see how much these quarterbacks are getting paid. You see how much they need quarterbacks in the league. So if that pops up and he's a first or second round talent, I mean, he's got to go. But to me, Trace McSorley stayed for five years, and I know Trace, you know, has some limitations in terms of size and things like that. But Trace was a really, really, really good quarterback, and he was a six rounder. So I don't see this being a real issue. But I think that they're going to enjoy their time together, and I think that that Clifford's going to play out his eligibility, and that's going to put him what two years uh, on, on campus, two years with his younger brother. I'll tell you what, if if as the question is phrased here, you're looking for ways to convince Sean Clifford to stay on campus, that means your oh, program's sorry. in a pretty good spot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That means your program's in a pretty good spot because uh, it means he has a decision to make. And and I do think, uh, to your point, at this point, are we are we viewing a, a future first-round NFL draft pick? I don't know, but I do know that, that we're going to start digging in toward that direction and some answers in the next month and, and maybe beyond that. And we have seen quarterbacks uh, of the likes of Nate Stanley get ordained as eventual high-level NFL draft picks uh, without showing nearly as much. Now, I think Sean Clifford is going to have a chance here to, to establish himself on the national scene. He's begun to do that a little bit more when he has big performances in the limelight, like the Michigan game two weeks ago. He's all over SportsCenter with K.J. Hamler and the postgame show and all that stuff. But, you know, hey, if he goes on the road and beats Ohio State and plays well, the narrative around Sean Clifford is very quickly going to go be go from, oh, he's the guy who, uh, you know, took over for McSorley and, and beat out Tommy Stevens to this is a guy who is a lethal quarterback for Penn State. And, and I, I don't think he's there yet, Sean. I'm just saying it's it's hard to predict what could be on the table for Sean Clifford after the 2020 season. And I, I'm also going to throw this out there. There's no guarantee that Liam Clifford is going to be ready for game action as a true freshman and actually be out in games competing alongside his brother. And there's no guarantee that Sean Clifford, if he does return for a fifth year and, and, and scoffs an opportunity at an NFL payday, will remain healthy and have that same opportunity in play in 2021 we're getting ahead of ourselves here but that's the fun of the mailbag so an interesting question and one that i think a lot of people probably uh, came to mind when they saw that his brother committed to the program yeah and it also highlighted my lack of math knowledge he'll just have one year not two years <laughs> so sorry about that i'm not a good counter i stopped taking math after my freshman year and started writing so um yeah anyway uh, well you're we, a darn we talk- good writer sean 
<laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, uh, we, we discussed the dynamics of the team a lot lately. And this is another question. Um, the team is really brought into the program. Is that a factor of more toxic personalities exiting the program or just an evolution uh, of more positive blood entering the program? I think you can you can say it's a little bit of both in that situation. I mean, it's it, it's really um, the, the the portal as we're seeing. Penn State's eight no right now. Uh, you're not really missing any of those guys that left. Uh, you know, no disrespect to those guys like Stevens and and all, but uh, you know they, they they've set themselves up to be the team that we see today, and they've done that by really you know for lack of a better term. Clearing out the old, um, a lot of unhappiness in that group. When you, when you got guys that are passed up by younger players, you're gonna you're gonna see some unhappiness. That's gonna cause fat, more factions in the locker room. That's gonna be uh, sort of a, you know a deterrent for for younger guys, older guys. Is more of a split. Now I think you see that, and, and there's gonna be unhappy guys in, in every every locker room, and that you're not gonna get a, you're not gonna get complete complete buy in or get guys to get uh, completely out of it. So. But you flushed out a bunch of those guys at one time, and really, on the underside, you know, you you you're getting younger guys in there. You're getting more talented guys in there. And let's be honest, I mean, you could see the talent where the talent was, especially from a class by class breakdown. A lot of that comes from the the 2018 class, the 2017 class, and, and and they're pushing those older guys out. And when that happens, you you, you give your team an opportunity to sort of uh, just flush that out there, replace them in mass, and and really. I get a fresh start. And I think that's the biggest thing to go back to. I don't see the portal being as prominent this, uh, this off season. Now there, there will be guys that transfer. That's, that's attrition that always happens. Um, but in, in terms of sort of flushing it out, I mean, it's really been a blessing in disguise for Penn state. I'll preface this with again, acknowledging that I haven't covered the entire Franklin era as you have. So I don't necessarily know what the culture came off as in 2014, 15, 16, but I can say it felt like there was a, a segment of the locker room last year that was kind of cotton between being the young backups for the team that won the big 10 championship and maybe even contributors for that team. And, and we're expecting to kind of take that torch and all of a sudden it came time and, and the, the future was also underway for Penn State football. And that's how big time college football works. That you're always, go, the future is always just around the corner because of how prevalent recruiting is and how important it is to have freshmen come to campus ready to play football. Alabama, Clemson, they've shown that year after year. It's why they're getting back to the championship game. You're seeing Penn State try to enter that kind of conversation. And so I think there were some players kind of caught up in that transition for this program where, where they went from relying on, wow, look at this. Look at these starters for Penn State. They're former three stars. You know, this school didn't want that player. This school didn't want that player. Uh, the, the Penn State uh, took a late shot on them. They've developed since then. Versus now, the guys we're talking about on the rise, they had 30 options. They visited Alabama during the process. They visited Ohio State during the process. Penn State had to work very hard to get them to come to campus as four and five star talents. And, you know, 24 7 sports, every recruiting service isn't always going to be right. But if you start bringing in blue chip talent at this kind of uh, volume, the misses, they go under the radar a lot more than they do if you're only bringing in a few blue chip players and you're not hitting on those guys at a high frequency. Penn State is just stockpiling talent on the roster. It looks like the 2020 recruiting class is going to continue that trend. And I think some guys kind of got caught up in it. And in retrospect, for many of them, it proved to be the right move based on the way they're playing in other schools. And for some of them, it may be a move they regret. Maybe they'd rather be uh, you know, not playing much for Penn State, but finishing their college career in the thick of a college football playoff conversation. But for so many of these guys, 
the path to the pros uh, needs to be navigated. It's where they want to be, regardless of how they develop through three or four years. They try to maximize that eligibility. So I, w- I would hesitate to, to say there there were toxic players, but I can understand why there may have been some some awkward tension, perhaps, in the locker room, uh, which is now what we've been told by players and coaches doesn't really exist anymore. Guys on the same page, regardless of their age, and they're, they're all in this together. And based on what we have observed over the course of this year and what we have heard from players, from members of the staff, very clear that collectively the chemistry of this current locker room is at a different level than where it was last year and perhaps throughout these six seasons that James Franklin has run the program. Yeah, I think you make a great point in terms of roster building and, and overall talent level and things like that. So it's really you know coming to the surface. So uh, I think that's uh, that's a good way to look at it. Uh, next question, is putting the cart before the, the horse here, is Theo Johnson the kind of prospect that come in and play a ton or is he going to need some time to bake? Uh, how close do you think Brenton Strange and Zach Kuntz are? Um, I think that Johnson is kind of in between where uh, Brenton Strange was coming in and where Pat Frymuth was coming in. I think he's more ready than Strange because I think he's a bigger kid. And I think that, uh, you know, when he gets to campus, he'll be able to take off sort of like Strange did. Um, you know, the, you always worry about the Canadian kids in terms of, you know, how fast the game, the American game is for them, how uh, quickly they can catch up to things. But, you know, I really think Johnson is 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 ready to go as much as a tight end can be short of Pat Fryermuth. Pat Fryermuth, kind of a different story, a little bit older uh, kid that could come in and go right from the start, uh, could also block right from the start. Don't have a tremendous amount of, of faith in Johnson's level as a blocker right now. But I think that Theo could come in right away and, and, and you know, make a dent in that two D or make a dent in the three D Pat Fryermuth pretty much established an unfair standard for, for true freshman tight ends at Penn state. I don't think you're going to see very many of him uh, walking onto campus at any campus uh, in college football. I think, you know, we have him listed at six foot six, 240 pounds. I'm assuming that's pretty accurate for Theo Johnson right now. And I think that would certainly set him apart from, from Zach Kuntz when he got to campus and, and Brenton Strange because he just got, uh, just added dimension with, with that kind of height. Um, now, you know, I, I've said before, I think if, if Brent, if, if Nick Bowers was still dealing with issues, I think we'd be seeing more of Brenton Strange. I don't know how it would impact Zach Kuntz. He is the number three guy on the depth chart right now. He does travel, uh, but Brenton, Brenton Strange has been in very, involved too and he's traveled and he's the number four guy um it's going to be a big offseason for both those players because we've seen this team like to incorporate two tight end sets blocking is going to be i think the big at the crux of the issue and it's it's always been the question with Kuntz uh transitioning from his high school days uh and you know we'll see how that gets answered but i think johnson has has a really good chance of being one of those players who comes in next year with nick bowers moved on and and despite the 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 foundation that's been established at tight end with some of these guys I think he's going to have a shot to be a green light, uh, you know, entering his his freshman season. Uh, but he's going to have to figure out how to block. But the, I just don't know where Strange and Kuntz are in that department right now either. Well, it's funny because you you mentioned where you know the the the, the line that Pat Frymuth has established as a guy that could come in and play right away. Well, he and Bowers right now are making Brenton Strange and Zach Kuntz look like they're further behind than they actually are. I mean, you're, you're not turning to anybody besides those first two to play. I think Strange uh, is probably closer to where he. Needs needs to be I think he could, he could play right now if they needed him to don't think he would be all effective as a blocker but I think he could play Koontz I think needs another year to fill out and it's kind of on that schedule that we sort of mapped out for him before this season and he, he needs more time to get in there they weren't going to press him into action they weren't going to need him to play right away I still think he can get there 
you know, he's got some terrific, I mean, he's got some elite traits to him as a tight end, um, but still needs to get there to, to, to play with that weight, to get up to maybe 260 next year or 265 and go with that and, and see what kind of threat that he can be. Um, I still think that uh, Strange is probably a little bit closer to where he's going to be at his ceiling. I think they're both still really, really good prospects. Penn State's excited about both of them, but really when you put them, um, you know, put them on this roster, put them on this depth chart, you're not taking Fryermuth or Bowers off the field for either one of those guys. And I think that they've proven, you know, to, to be valuable assets to this offense and, you know, where they'll be in a year, it's hard to say. But, uh, I mean, I think that to, that it's really probably unfair to evaluate where Strange and Koontz are at this point in their career. Both those guys, by the way, early enrollees, getting that head start. Fryermuth came in May, but as we've mentioned several times, a year older than the rest of his class. But uh, that also is key to development, getting getting uh, underway and, and getting that head start before you actually hit the camp uh, circuit in, in August and, and have to really work on the depth chart for coaches. If you can put yourself at the forefront uh, and put yourself in part of those plans, it gives you that leg up. And I think Theo Johnson's the kind of guy who, who would – find a way to establish himself pretty early once he got to campus based on what we've seen from him so far. Next and final question. How do you expect the staff to go about 2021 recruiting uh, at wide receiver in terms of spots open? Of course, they've got a commitment right now from Liam Clifford. I've got a bunch of crystal balls in. Uh, that includes Dante Thornton, Caden Prather, Zaki Wheatley. Uh, of course, they, they hosted J.J. Jones from Myrtle Beach uh, for the whiteout. So there's a bunch of guys that seem like realistic targets right now. And, and I mean, honestly... It's going to be tight. I mean, when you take into account the, the number of guys that they've taken in the 2020 cycle, of course, that's four high school guys and a JUCO guy. Um, now you've already taken Liam Clifford, who they, they essentially took as an athlete, but uh, it's going to be tight if you want the guy or to get the guys that you want. Uh, for, uh, neglected to mention Jaleel Farouk, who was also at the Whiteout game. So, um, you know, you've got a lot of realistic opportunities, and I think that you're going to see probably a, a similar approach to Liam Clifford with Zaki Wheatley. Wheatley's a guy that could play defensive back. He's a good-looking athlete, good-looking high school football player. Um, but you've got nat- more natural, I guess, typical wide receivers like Dante Thornton, who's still an option. Caden Prather's out there, Farouk. Um, so you always want to add athleticism. Um, you know, Thornton, I think, is always going to have a spot. But this is a position where you're in really well with uh, some of your top guys early, and you can't really you know, it's one of those ones where you don't want to overbalance it and talk yourself out of taking somebody. I think they're in a great spot for Caden Prather. I think they're in a good spot with, uh, with Farouk. And, uh, of course they got the crystal ball in for Wheatley. Uh, you know, JJ Jones is kind of an outlier because you always take into account where the kid's from. And, and sometimes those, those things kind of take care of themselves. So not sure if we see him in this class just yet, but I know Penn state made a tremendous impression on him. So, uh, it, it, it's an interesting sort of, um, I guess sort of case study because you you have a new assistant coach in, you did bring a, a big class in or are bringing a big class in in 2020. Um, but there's always turnover. You might see some guys hit the portal in the off season just because you maybe not happy with their roles or maybe haven't uh, really fit in with the new coach, uh, the new assistant coach and Jared Parker. So uh, it'll be an interesting one to watch. I mean, it, I still think that they can load up with numbers a couple classes in a row to sort of get what they want. Uh, uh, still fairly low on scholarship numbers right now. That's why they went to the grad transfer route with Weston Carr and also had George Campbell committed for a while. Um, but still, I think that they'll be um, they'll, they'll they'll be in a spot where I don't think they're gonna you know kill themselves just to to only take two guys or to only take three guys in that in, in that receiver group. One more name just to add to the conversation from my neck of the woods, San Augustine Prep in South Jersey, Carnell Davis. He got an offer 
this summer while he was actually going to high school in Florida, maybe even the spring. Uh, but he was he was in South Jersey, went to Florida for a few months to finish off his sophomore year. Now he's back in South Jersey at the same school as Isaiah Rakes, who has a Penn State offer, defensive tackle, committed to Texas A&M. So another name to know there. And I will say one thing that will help them on the 2021 recruiting trail with wide receivers is to find themselves a quarterback. It's a conversation that we'll continue to have as they look across the country for that, uh, you know, guy to put in their class looking for uh, a blue chip caliber quarterback. And, and, and that always goes a long way when you're hunting for wide receivers. Absolutely. And I'd probably add Davis in that athlete category. He could play cornerback as well. But yeah, you're right. The getting into that quarterback uh, mess that the, I don't know, I hesitate to call it a mess, but uh, right now you're just not sure which direction that could go to. And of course, at this time last year, we said the same thing about 2020, and then they got Micah Bowens. But uh, Caleb Williams is always going to be the guy that you circle. But of course, I think they're in it thick with Garrett Nussmeyer, who just commit, or excuse me, just visited for the whiteout. And uh, for Jake Rubley out of Colorado, who's probably going to take a visit, Christian Veyu from from Maryland, who's the Canadian kid, is going to take an unofficial visit for the Indiana game. So you've got options there. It's a matter of figuring out where you're best situated and when, when you take those guys. Well, we've got options because it's the bye week. And in your case, you'll be trick-or-treating on Saturday night because of the postponement. Uh, I'll be living a, a quiet a life of leisure, hopefully, up I, in I the figure lakes. You know what? I didn't, <laughs> didn't want to watch the end of that Florida-Georgia game anyway, so I'm, I'm sure it'll be great. Well, that works out perfectly yeah. then. Yeah, so that's going to do it. Uh, we gave you uh, more than an hour here, including that conversation with James Franklin. Uh, again, a huge tip of the cap for the Steve Wiltfong, Alan Treu for, for handling that interview on their podcast, the Notorious B.I.G. Podcast, B.I.G. spelled like the Big Ten, um, and those guys do a great job. Appreciate them lending that to us and hope you enjoyed that conversation, the conversation with Sean and I. Sean, we're back next week, regularly scheduled programming. It is a game week, the first of four that are left on this regular season schedule. Uh, we'll come at we'll come at the folks probably Tuesday uh, into Wednesday with our first episode. Any final parting shots before we step aside for the rest of this bye week? No, I think I got all my Rutgers digs in, so I think we, <laughs> we hit our quota this week. No, we, we'll come back after the bye, rested, refreshed, and undefeated, and that's a good place to be. So we'll see you next time on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, and by the way, plenty of Rutgers digs to come later in November. Not looking forward to that, slash looking forward to that. Uh, for now, on behalf of Sean Fitz, Tyler Donahue, be sure to rate, follow, subscribe, all that stuff on Lions 24-7 podcast where you can find it. For now, going back into bye week mode. Talk to you soon. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. 
Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 